This is Baby Boomer Tales. Some of the high school, college, and pro coaches move around. Very seldom you find one that stays in the same place all or most of his career. I like it when a team gets rid of a coach and then the coach goes somewhere else and becomes successful. That happened with Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs. He had a bad season. Some things around him was going very wrong that year. Philadelphia fired him, was hired on by the Chiefs, and by golly, he's won a world championship, gone to two Super Bowls now, and is considered by many the best coach in the game today. I like it when that happens for a guy. My favorite college basketball coaches of all time, I'm just gonna give you a small short list I'm not going to dwell on this very long. It's not what I'm really talking about today. But John Thompson, he coached Georgetown University. Big man roaming the sidelines there. Very intimidating. Recruited and produced one heck of a basketball player in Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing's presence in the NBA draft created the lottery back in the day because one man could dominate a team. And the NBA was concerned that teams would lose on purpose just to get that number one draft pick in Patrick Ewing. John Wooden of UCLA produced more championships than anybody anywhere ever, or probably ever will. And Homer Drew of Valparaiso, Scott Drew's dad, Scott Drew, the head coach of Baylor. Homer Drew is quite a coach. He's now retired. And my last one in the basketball coaches is Temple's coach, John Chaney. John was a great coach. He'd sit there on the sidelines and just kind of look like it was the end of the world, just sitting there. His team was very, very competitive for very many years. John just passed away this year. And then, of course, Bill Self of the Kansas Jayhawks. I am a Kansas Jayhawks fan, but even if I wasn't, I think Self would have to somewhere beyond some list of favorite coaches. College football, my very favorite coach ever in college football is Joe Paterno. I know there is controversy that swirled around him there at the end of his career, but if you're a football fan at all, you ought to read the book Paterno by Joe Posansky. You'll open your eyes to a bunch of stuff that went on. Joe was just football. Is no nonsense. It transferred in the uniforms of Penn State. Very simple, very plain, very good football team. My second favorite football coach, and I hope you all don't get mad at me over this one, but Ohio State's legendary coach Woody Hayes. Woody met the end of his coaching career by there was a guy that intercepted a pass or picked up a fumble or something for the opposing team, was running down the sidelines, probably on his way to a touchdown. He's run down the sidelines on Ohio State side, and Woody cold-cocked him right there. <laughs> yeah, There's quite a brouhaha about that one. Woody did lose his job. But if you look at his career, and you have to remember that there is no crying in football, although I think that has changed over the years. We've become way too sensitive if you are a blood and guts football fan. That's a fact. And my last football coach in the college ranks on my favorite list is Bud Wilkinson of the Oklahoma Sooners. Class guy.
good football coach. In the pro ranks, in baseball, these guys aren't really called coaches, but the managers. My number one was Ralph Houck of the New York Yankees. His predecessor was Casey Stingle of the Yankees. Casey went on to be the very first manager of the New York Mets later on. Danny Murtaugh of the Pittsburgh Pirates. The way he made this list is those Pirates broke my heart in 1960, beat the Yankees in the World Series. Danny was a good manager. And the last one on my list, Dick Hauser. Dick did manage the Yankees. He was a great third base coach in his day. Then he became a manager of the Kansas City Royals and they won a world championship. About two years later, poor old Dick passed away from a brain tumor. Great manager. I do believe he'd have been one of the all-time greats if he would have just lived longer. In basketball, my favorite list includes Larry Brown. He was the Denver Nuggets coach when they transitioned over from the ABA to the NBA. He was instrumental in all that. I'm not sure he coached in the NBA for the Nuggets, but he was right in that mixture. Great coach. He also coached the Kansas Jayhawks to a national championship in 1988. Red Arbach of the Boston Celtics. Those Celtics, what a great team back in those days. Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, K.C. Jones, Sam Jones. And my last basketball coach on this list is Jerry Sloan. He played for Chicago Bulls forever. Started out his coaching career coaching the Bulls, but then he went to Utah and he was there forever. Very successful coach. I really liked him a lot. In football, Don Shula we all know them from the Miami Dolphins, how they dominated the NFL for several years. But he came into the coaching ranks as a head coach with the Baltimore Colts, whom he played for when he first got out of college. Vince Lombardi, probably known worldwide as the greatest football coach of all times, the Green Bay Packers. Red Miller, he was a journeyman coach, always a defensive coach or something for teams forever. But he got a job with the Denver Broncos and took them to their very first Super Bowl. That was quite an accomplishment because the Broncos used to be just worse than terrible. Then all of a sudden, with Red's guidance, they were legitimate and have been ever since. My last coach on this list, before we go on to other things, Andy Reid. And I spoke about him a few minutes ago. Let me just say Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs. Way to go, Andy. When I was about 10 until I was probably about 14, we'd play in the park football all the time. And there was this guy that started parking there on the street and watching us. We all knew that he was the new football coach for the high school. And he'd just watch us. Watch us for hours as we played sometimes. Then he'd drive off. When I was a kid, we'd go to the high school basketball practices in the gym there after school. And that football coach was the basketball coach also. And I remember watching him, and it would be coach would pick the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth best players on the team. And those five, coaching those four guys, would play the starting five. And the way they'd play is they'd just like to play a game. This was practice for them. And they'd be back and forth and back and forth for hours. They wouldn't quit till coach's team was ahead. Well, about the time I was in seventh grade, we got to go to the pep rallies. 
I'd also go to the basketball games, football games. Well, at the pep rallies, the cheerleaders get out and they do this cheer. They'd all line up. Then they go, we've got a coach about this tall. They jump up with their hand as high as they could, just to try to give you a picture of how tall coach was. He greeted everybody as you walked down the hall. His hair is black and his eyes are blue. Come on, coach, we're going to yell for you. Hey, coach, coach. Yep, it went something like that anyway. He coached both the basketball and the football teams and was very, very successful. Well, when I got to seventh grade, here's my basketball coach for seventh and eighth grade. And I was really looking forward to him being my coach in high school. In eighth grade, we were in a game over at our rival school. And I spoke about this game in episode 36 called Camper Caravan. There's a little side story at the end of that episode that talks about this game. There's only two games ever the coach coached me that he blamed outside sources for us losing the game. He always believed, and if we were listened to him and did as we were coached and instructed, we would be successful. But twice, I heard him blame something else, and this first one was the eighth grade game. We were being hometown big time, and every call that seemed to be called was against us. We were getting in foul trouble and being called for walking and all this stuff all the time, and it was really a hometown job. They were pulling on us. It's worth listening to that. I think I did a pretty good job on that particular episode. Makes me laugh when I listen to it. Well, I got into high school, and here's the football coach, but he was not the basketball coach anymore. They brought some other guy in, and so that was okay, but we were not as successful as coach would have made us. I'm sure about that. But here's our football coach all through football. I remember my senior year, we thought we were really going to be good. We had a bunch of returning players that were pretty darn good. We had a quarterback that was second to none. And that quarterback got his girlfriend pregnant. And the first day of practice, we were sitting in the locker room waiting to put on our stuff and run out there and get work so hard we'd all throw up. Coach looked at him. He said, you can't play this year. What? What do you mean? You can't play this year. Pick up your stuff. I'll see you next year. I remember my buddy threw his mouth guard as hard as he could against the wall and left. This little halfback that we had, it was not a bad halfback at all, but he always wanted to be quarterback. And he was sitting there smiling, rubbing his hands together, and I looked at him. And I knew that we were going to have a very long year. Well, first game that season, we always went over the mountain so we could play this one team every year. It was always our first game. We went over the mountain to do it over the National Park because that road would close in a few weeks. So that was always our first game of the year. And we were getting beat like seven to nothing at halftime. And Coach got us in the locker room and chewing us out. And all of a sudden, he zeroed in on Shorty over there and started telling him what a putt he was, what a sissy he was how he's a terrible football player. He shouldn't even be on the team. He was ashamed of him and all this stuff. And it's just we're just sitting there watching him just yelling at Shorty. All of a sudden, he turned around with fire in his eyes. He pointed at me and he said, Jim, you're worse. Well, that'll get a guy's attention right away. 
All of a sudden, I don't think Shorty felt so bad. I think he's pick on a Shorty to get to me. It straightened me up in a New York second. I'll tell you what, I had a pretty good year of football that year. Anyway, the only other time I remember Coach ever saying that blaming someone else that we were getting beat was that same senior year. We were over at a team that was night game, and the whole town stood around right at the sidelines. Play go out of bounds. They'd all kick you and yell at you and spit on you. Word was that one of the refs was the star quarterback's uncle. We were definitely getting hometown there also. After the game, Coach said that it wasn't our fault. There's nothing we could have done to have won that game. We played a good game, and we almost pulled it off. It was too bad. See, if we win the game, that following Monday, we got to play pass touch. It'd be the varsity versus everybody else and coach. And we'd play until coach won, of course. It didn't matter if we played till 9 o'clock at night. Coach was going to win. And it was definitely better than the alternative, because if we lost, we'd have to have tackling practice. Well, after that one particular game, we didn't have tackling practice the next Monday. I don't think coach was getting soft. I think Coach knew exactly what he was doing at all times. He's a great coach. He was my civics teacher in high school. I remember some of the stuff we did. This one time he got this glass full of ice and water, and we sat there and watched as the ice melt. Would the water level go down, or would it go up? One time we had to do a book report on some kind of nation and all their ways of life and stuff. And I did one on some Pawnee Indians called The Wolf Song by Ralph Hubbard. And I didn't actually read the whole book, so I was trying to fake my way through it up there giving an oral book report. I remember looking down at Coach. Coach was sitting at the desk. He just kind of rolled his eyes at me. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh at these things. I know. Oh, well. He's also my driver's ed teacher. We had a class, four of us always went out, the same four of us went out driving once a week or something, and the class was probably 20 kids. So there was this girl in my group named Darlene, and that girl, I don't know to this day if she knows how to drive. She would put us in the ditch. I actually heard Coach scream once, not screaming at Darlene, screaming for his life. We went into a ditch, and this driver's ed car, he had brakes, but he didn't have a steering wheel in front of him. So he's reaching over there trying to grab the steering wheel for Darlene. She's probably fighting him for it. Going in a ditch, we were all sitting in the back seat, the other three of us. Coach was a good driver's ed teacher. Now, I knew how to drive because my dad had us with an old crash car out in the farm and stuff. It was You had to have driver's ed to get a driver's license back in that day. It was an easy A. I liked easy A's. You always had to take P.E. and coach was always your P.E. teacher. About senior year, he'd always give the football team members uh, classes to teach for him. Then he'd come around and check on you once in a while. And we had a seventh grade P.E. class. John, Dave's brother, and I were the teachers. Coach had a wife and two sons. He owned a Dairy King in a town about 12 miles up the road in summertime. My parents would take me up there and we'd get soft serve. Coach serve it right to you. He owned a house on the hill and it was pink. I always thought the coach was the bravest man in town to live in a pink house. 
One year, our football team gave him a leather jacket of his own. Our leather jackets were always purple with white leather sleeves on them. Well, we gave him a purple jacket with gold sleeves. It was actually a tan, but it looked gold against the purple. I don't know why we didn't get him white sleeves. I don't know what the story was behind that. But our rival, 27 miles up the road, their colors were purple and gold. And Coach wore that purple and gold jacket with pride, especially when we went over there for a football or a basketball game. He always drove the bus on our way to the games. We didn't hire a bus driver, have a school bus driver. Coach drove the bus. He was a fast driver. Our football team won many, many league titles. We were a very good football team always, or usually always. But we could not get past this one team that was out in eastern Colorado on the plains for the state championship ever. They would line up and they'd have over 100 kids. They always dressed all in black. It was very intimidating seeing them over there. They filled the whole one half of the football field just doing the calisthenics before the game started. Here we are probably doing our best to get 35, 40 kids. And there they are. Look like an army of black-clad ninjas come to get you. We did win a state championship in basketball, though, 1963. That team was a very good team. I was in seventh grade. I remember going to Denver, watching the whole championship series. Coach played college football for University of Kansas his freshman year. And then what I can find, and it was hard to find, but he must have transferred to Fort Hayes State, which was a smaller school. It's probably so he could play more for the rest of his college career. Word was he always played for the Baltimore Colts, but I couldn't find any proof of this. Maybe he had tried out for the Colts or maybe even been drafted. I don't know. I really don't. I wish I could have found that out. Coach was born June 1932, and he passed away in May of 1979. He's not quite 47 years old. He's buried up in a cemetery up north of my little town, up by the National Park, and the beauty of the Rocky Mountains. The three most influential teachers I ever had, and I spoke of a couple of them, Leah Beth, Betty Jo, and the one influential teacher that was a male, is Coach. He'll always be coached to me. It's how I refer to him as. Always have and always will. It's funny how a person can influence your life so deeply. You can find us at babyboomertales.com. Always be kind. You never know whose life you are touching. I'll be back next Wednesday. Peace out.